Layman Church family. As we begin this morning, um, or before we begin this morning, I, I just I just want to say, it always can I just tell you, it always felt a little self-serving when I was one of the ones up there leading worship. Um, so so I, I was I was always hesitant to say something, and and probably it seems a, even self-serving now, knowing that it's three of my youngins that are up here. Uh, helping to lead worship, but can I? But can I just tell you, praise the Lord for our praise team. I mean, they—they, they, it, it's, and and listen, every one of them would tell you they don't want the applause or anything like that. But I'm telling you right now, it's because of their commitment. It's because of the commitment that they have to Jesus Christ and spreading His word through the music. Um, I'm I'm just so blessed by them, and we have so many more here in in our in our in our uh in our congregation that are are gifted as well um and we want everybody to come and be a part of that and uh and and come and do um i am however uh very pleased uh that jared was back this week he's on his spring break and so he came i asked him i said hey do you want to you know since you're here come play drums this week and he's like well yeah i guess He's he's been playing drums everywhere. He's uh, he's a drummer for the BCM band uh, at the college. He fills in uh, drums at at uh, I mean it's a it's a college community. So and and they're all involved in the churches around the college and stuff like that. So he gets to fill in at some. He sent me pictures of some of the big huge churches that he's gotten to fill in and play drums in. I'm, I'm a little jealous. Um, it is it is kind of nice and like that'd be that'd be nice to go and lead worship somewhere like that. That'd be not that I don't love leading worship. I see. I shouldn't have said anything to begin with. I love my church family. I love it here at Calvary. I'm so blessed to be here. We're all blessed to be here. It's a great day in the house of the Lord this morning. Amen. Uh, we are counting down the days, as I said, to one of my favorite times of the year, Easter. Uh, it's a time each year that we as believers. Together, specifically gather to celebrate the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, I know what you would say is that, Pastor, don't we celebrate those events pretty much every Sunday? And, and indeed, that is true. Um, but I thought it would be fitting for us to spend the next few weeks leading up to Easter looking more intently, as I said before, about the passion narrative, as it's often called, that leads to Resurrection Sunday. If you grew up in the church... Chances are you've heard the story of Jesus told many, many times. Uh, maybe some of you today are new to the narrative. Uh, either way, it's extremely important and powerful. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was paying the penalty for our sins that we ourselves could not pay. And when this happened, many of those standing, in, uh, standing around the cross believed that it was the nails in his, in his wrists and in his feet that held him there. However, we're going to see over the next few weeks that it was his passion for humanity that held him to that cross. Jesus loved others. And his instruction to those early disciples was for them to love others as well. In fact, in the Gospel of John, Jesus says in John 13, 34, it says, I give you a new command. Love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. And even as he was giving this instruction, uh, there was still, uh, they were still learning from and following and watching Jesus and the way that he loved others. And you know what? Since I'm going to pause here for just a second. Uh, Jared, can you do me a favor? Because you know this thing. Uh, 
Um, I'm not getting scripture on the back, and it's going to be helpful a little later because uh, I don't have a couple of these in my notes this morning. Um, again, sorry. Sorry about that. Uh, as, as Jesus was giving instruction to the disciples, they were still learning from him. They were still following. They were still watching Jesus and the way that he loved other people. And over the next few weeks, <coughs> pardon me, I still can't get over this stuff. Y'all pray for me. I hadn't had a voice in three weeks now, and it's, it's bugging me. Some of you are thankful for it, I realize. But over the next few weeks, we're going to do the same thing, okay? Uh, not, not lose our voice. We're, we're just like the early disciples. We're going to learn from Jesus. We're going to, through his word, we're going to learn how to love others, and we're going to understand how he loved us. Uh, so that we can use that as an example to love others. What was Jesus's mission? What was his motivation? What kept him engaged throughout the difficulty of his mission? Why did he trade his life for ours? That question is answered in 1 John 4.10. Love consists in this, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice. Or as some of your translations say, the propitiation, the substitute for our sins. So as we begin this morning, we're going to look at one small but yet important verse of scripture. Probably one of the most recognized, well-known verses of scripture of all time. And we're going to break it down this morning and understand that what Jesus did on the cross was fueled by his love for us. So if you would take this, if you're able, would you please stand with us as we read our scripture for this morning? I promise it's short. Uh, John 3.16. We're going to read that together. Some of you don't even need to look at the screen, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Father God, Lord, we thank you for your word today. I pray this morning that you would hide me behind your cross, that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that you would not let, me, uh, let me utter one word that is not your word today. Father, we thank you. We pray that this word would open our hearts and would change us, that we would come closer to you, we would grow in our relationship with you, and we would be completely sold out in our lives to you and surrendered to you. Lord, we love you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you, church family. We've read three verses already this morning in which John talks about the love of God. I believe that John is the apostle of love. I believe he is the apostle of love. He alone of all the apostles seems to have been chosen to understand somewhat the depths of of this divine love that God has given to us so that he might tell it to all of us throughout the generations. The Holy Spirit always chooses fitting instruments and we must assume by, uh, that by nature and grace, John was best fit to make known the gospel of eternal love. Because here, for the first time in John 3.16, he opens for us in his gospel this eternal spring. The presence of this eternal love that God has been implied before. When the revelation of Jesus Christ was spoken of, but now 
It's going to be clearly known. It's going to be clearly known his love for us as he hangs on the cross. And today I want to focus on this verse. There are three crucial statements made by Jesus in this verse, all of which have implications for our lives and the way that we treat and love each other, the world around us, and the way that we receive God's love. So let's take a look. I want to look at the very first part of that scripture this morning. God so loved the world. Now, as we begin this morning, we get started. I'd like for us to, to understand and, and wrap our heads around that word world. We're going we're gonna to understand that and what it means in our context this morning. Now, when Jesus spoke these words to Nicodemus, it was estimated that the entire world's population was somewhere in the neighborhood of 300 million people. We don't know an exact number, but we're looking at population data and the way that it has grown from the 1700s forward. What we do is we take those trends and we move them backward, right? We look back in time to come up with that number, 300 million people. You do realize that that is less than the population of the United States today, which is 336 million people. In fact, the U.S. crossed over the 300 million, uh, the 300 million mark on Tuesday, October 17, 2006, at 7.46 a.m., almost 16 and a half years ago. How'd you like to be that youngin', right? Have that hung around your neck. You were number 300 million. Now, the world did not reach its first billion people until the 1800s. Now, the population of the earth is over 8 billion people. In fact, on the day that I was born, March 21st, 1973, a week from this Tuesday, I will celebrate my 50th year. At that moment, there were only 3 million, three, excuse me, 3 billion, 788,556,373 people. Isn't the internet awesome? You can find anything you want on the internet, can't you? But I say that to say the world population has more than doubled in my lifetime. We've gone from 3.7 billion people to now just shy of 8 million, uh, 8 billion, 100 million people. All told is estimated that somewhere around 109 billion people have populated the planet Earth. That's an interesting thought when we know that there are 8 billion of them on the planet right now. Do you realize that means that 7 point, I did some math this week, y'all would be so proud of me. 7.339 of all of the people who have ever lived on this planet are alive right now. That's an amazing thought. So when Jesus said God so loved the world, he didn't mean those 300 million people that were alive back in ancient times. He meant everyone who ever lived, who was living, and who might ever live in the future. Now, if you were to ask many, any Christian how to describe God, most of them would say something about love. And it's clear to see all throughout the Bible that God is a God of love, of compassion, of care. 
In fact, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, it says, The one who does not love does not know God, because God is love. That verse of scripture tells us right there that God is love. His very being is love. What a powerful statement. And do you know that the word love in verse three, in chapter three, verse 16, that John uses is the Greek word agape. Now I'm not going to, I'll never get into a bunch of Greek. I'll never do that. But I think it's interesting sometimes the deeper meaning that the Greek has, the original language has, because it gets so watered down by our English language. Right? We have one word for love, right? Love. That's what we use. I love pizza. I love my wife. I don't love my pizza and my wife the same way. Right? I'll leave that for you to figure out which one I love more. Just kidding. There are four words in the Greek that are translated into English as love. There's storge, which is an empathetic love. We, we look at people with sympathy. We, we see stories on the news, tragic stories on the news, or we see uplifting stories on the news of people who have overcome great odds, right? And we have this love, this appreciation for them. We follow them on social media. We watch the stories on the news, those types of things. That's storge. That's an empathetic love. We have philia, which is a friendly bond. It's where we get the name of the city, Philadelphia, from. It's called the city of brotherly love because it's literally what the word means. It's brotherly love. It's that friendly bond we have with each other. There's eros. It's romantic love. And then there's agape. It's that unconditional, sacrificial love. And of the four different words in the Greek language for love, this is the one that is willful, pure, and sacrificial. This type of love God has for his people, including you and me, this love fueled God to send his son in the first place. And this is the love that fueled Jesus throughout his ministry. All uh, this, this kind of love God wants to pass on to all those who believe in him through Jesus. This is the love that he wants us to have for each other. He doesn't care for us if, if we have brotherly love for one another. He wants us to have sacrificial love for one another. Because as we read a little bit earlier in John 13, 34, it says, I give you a new command, love one another. And he, here's, here's the command. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. God loved us so much that he sacrificed for us that he sacrificed for us. You see, God is the source, the eternal spring of love. It's not human love, which is biased. It's not human love, which is almost always, in some ways, impure in its motives. Human love is selfish, and it's usually given out on the basis of what can hope to receive in return. God's love is not like this at all. His love is always pure, always holy, always seeking what is the best, for the object it loves. His love is given freely without the hope of desire of anything in return. God loves because he is love and his love is never ending. In fact, Jeremiah 31 chapter three says the same thing. The Lord appeared to him from far away. I have loved you 
with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have continued to extend faithful love to you. His love is always given first. His love is precious beyond our words. First John chapter four, verse 19 says, we love because he first loved us. We have love in our hearts because God created us for love. He loved us at the moment of creation, not at the moment of his sacrifice. He loved us at the moment of our creation and imprinted his love in our hearts and in our DNA. And as I mentioned earlier, we are commanded by Jesus to love one another in the same manner in which he loved. And that obviously leads us to a conversation about sacrifice. The key to loving people well is often found in sacrifice. When we lay aside what we want, what our desires are for other people. Are you willing to sacrifice your schedule for someone who needs to sit down and talk to you? Are you willing to sacrifice your own desires to align them with God's? Honestly, the list of sacrificial love opportunities is endless for us. However, John 3.16 tells us something else very important. After we first recognize that God loves the world, we learn how he loves we learn how he loves and that he sent his son. There have been times in our walk with Jesus that Tori and I have sacrificed. We've made sacrifices anonymously to give things to people who were in need because we, we, we love them. We bought Christmas gifts for families before who couldn't do that before. And I, and I, and I never, I don't stand up here and say this because I want attention. We always do this anonymously. Nobody ever knows that it's us that did it. But we've sacrificed in the past for God's people because that's who we're called to love. And we should sacrifice in the same way for each other. Throughout Jesus' earthly ministry, he tells a lot of stories to help people understand the arguments that he's trying to make. Um, we, we refer to these a lot of times as parables, right? They're, they're fictional stories with truth built into them. And there's a parable in Matthew 21 that talks about the why behind God the Father sending Jesus to earth. And it goes like this, Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 through 42, uh, says this, listen to, one, uh, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and he put a fence around it, dug a wine press into it and built a watchtower. He leased it to a tent to tenant farmers and then he went away. When the time came to harvest fruit, he sent his servants to the collect, to the farmers to collect this fruit. The farmers took his servants, beat one, killed another and stoned a third. And again, he sent other servants, more than the first group, and they did the same to them. Finally, he sent his son to them. They will respect my son, he said. But when the tenant farmers saw the son, they said to each other, this is the heir. Let's kill him and take his inheritance. So they seized him, they threw him out of the vineyard, and they killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do for those farmers? He will completely destroy those terrible men, they told him. 
and lease his vineyard to other farmers who will give him the fruit of the harvest. And Jesus said to them, he turns that story around and he gives them the truth behind it. Jesus said to them in verse 42, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is what the Lord has done and is it, it is wonderful in our eyes. All throughout human history, God has been sending people to deliver his message of salvation and restoration. You see, the landowner in this parable is God. The vineyard is his people. And the landowner's servants are the prophets. But who are the farmers? Well, they're the ones who think they've got it all together. They're the ones who think they are without sin, that they are perfect. You see, this parable is based on Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. And in it, Jesus reminded the Jews of God's goodness to them as a nation, that he's always been good, that he delivered them from Egypt. He planted them into a land that was rich with milk and honey. He gave them material and spiritual blessings and asked only that they bear fruit for his glory. From time to time, God sent servants, the prophets, to the people to receive the fruit. But the people mistreated the servants. They even killed some of the prophets. So what should the landlord do? He could have sent his armies to destroy these wicked men, but he sent, instead, he sent his son. He sent his son. Obviously a reference to Jesus Christ, the son of God. He is the heir and instead of receiving and honoring the son, the men cast him out of the vineyard and killed him. You see, Jesus was crucified outside the gates of Jerusalem. Hebrews chapter 13, verses 12 and 13 says, Therefore Jesus also suffered outside the gate, so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. See, we don't, we don't look at things scripturally enough sometimes. Because the law of the Jews stated that you could not touch anything that was dead. Right? No exceptions. Including all, all of the executions, everything that they did, including the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, happened outside of the city walls of Jerusalem. You see, Jesus was rejected by his own nation. The people listening to that parable, the people listening to Jesus tell that story were the very people who were going to have the blood on their hands and pass sentence in that courtyard shouting, crucify him, crucify him. And we so often slip into the same mindset. Well, my sins aren't as bad as that person's sins. If you think I'm bad, you ought to see what this person did or what that person did. But the truth of the matter is, the Bible tells us that we are all guilty of falling short. Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And therefore, we needed someone to save us. That's why God sent Jesus Jesus is the gift that God sent humanity to show how much he loves us. Jesus is the gift that we didn't know we needed 
but we learn that we truly cannot live without. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes shall not perish but have everlasting life. I want to talk about belief this morning. This is another place, just like the word love that we talked about earlier, where the English language kind of doesn't do it justice. It's short of the intended and original meaning. Because we have a curse going on in our American churches. We have sold short what the word believe actually means in Scripture. Let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Y'all follow me on this, okay? I promise we're coming around to a point. Let's say someone, one of these sweet ladies in our, in our church who just knows how to cook, right? She brought up a, a plate of Brussels sprouts and laid them on the table right up here. Now, it would be ridiculous for me. I don't like Brussels sprouts. I, can we testify? Amen. Some of you do, and, and that's all right. There's a special place in heaven for you. But if I were to stand here and deny that that plate of Brussels sprouts existed, I would look like a fool. We all know they exist. They're sitting there taking up space. They're taking up matter in, in, our, in our existence, in our world, right? They're right there. And if somebody asked me if I believed in those Brussels sprouts... I'd have to say yes. I'd have to say yes because they're right there in front of me. I can see them. I'm not going to do anything with them. I'm not going to eat them. But they're there. What's even more than that, I can be involved in things that include Brussels sprouts. My wife can cook a dinner that includes Brussels sprouts and I will eat the dinner except for the Brussels sprouts. We're going to set those to the side. Right? I can consume everything else on the plate and never touch them. I can believe that they are there because I interacted with them to make sure that they don't affect me. <clears throat> I don't take in the Brussels sprouts, however good they may be for my body. But I believe that the Brussels sprouts are there. Now y'all follow me. I can even go to the Brussels sprout festival. Don't laugh. We got grits festival. We got watermelon festival. We got every kind of, we got food festivals in this, in this state. Y'all don't laugh. All right. Right. It's not that far gone. Right. And we can go and I can go to that festival and I can enjoy it. I can hang out with people who really dig some Brussels sprouts. Right. And there would, then there would be people like me. There'd be people who were there for everything other than the Brussels sprouts. Now, some of y'all are already ahead of me in where I'm going. Just hold on. Let me get there. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. I need to wash them Brussels sprouts out of my mouth because just saying it is killing me. Amen. You're a good man. Mm -mm -mm. Thank you, brother. Now, listen to me. I can go for every reason to that Brussels sprout festival. It has anything to do with it. I can listen to the music that they're singing about the Brussels sprouts. I can go and find 
decorations with Brussels sprouts printed on them. I can fill my house with things that have little sayings about Brussels sprouts and all of that kind of stuff. But you know what the problem is? I believe in those Brussels sprouts, but I've never trusted them. Y'all know where I'm going this morning? We can say we can believe Jesus. We can come to church for the music. We can come for the fellowship. We can come for everything else. We can come in and get inspired by a message that somebody might preach. Because we believe in Jesus. James chapter 4 says that demons believe and they tremble. They've never trusted Jesus. I truly believe. Now, I'm not going to sit here and rewrite scripture. I'm not that smart. But I believe in our minds, if we were to sit down and, and, and be honest with ourselves, we might need to sit back and say, for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, that whoever trusts in Jesus should not perish but have everlasting life. And can I tell you, that in the original Greek, pistievo, pistievo is that word that we have translated and believe. But in the Greek, it means to trust with everything in your fiber and in your being. Church family, God sent his son not to become a cultural icon. Not to become the basis of some good music. Not to become a name that you can hang on the wall of your house and give lip service to every now and then. He sent his son to die for you so that you may trust in him and know that you have everlasting life. Billy Graham made the comment about 25 years ago. He said, I believe that 50% of the people who occupy the pews in our churches on Sunday morning are lost and going to hell because they believe, but they've never trusted. We have an interpretation problem in our churches and it has allowed us to soft sell the gospel. We believe that leading people to say some kind of prayer automatically gets them a ticket into heaven and that is simply not the case. The truth of the matter is, is that as churches, we need to make sure, as pastors, we need to make sure, as leaders and disciplers, we need to make sure that people understand that it's trusting in Jesus that gets you salvation, not believing in him. We need to trust him. Make him the Lord of our life. We are called to trust the one who loves us so sacrificially that he sent his only son, God himself in the flesh, to die for us so that we can have everlasting life. We can have everlasting joy. We can have hope and peace in this life here on earth. So what does this mean for us? 
Well, now that we know that God does indeed love us, regardless of where we've been or what we've done, we also know that God displayed his love for us by sending his own son. What does it all mean for us? I think God's desire for us in response is completely clear, to love him back and love others the same way that he loves us. Again, I'm going to quote it again. John chapter 13, verse 34, a new command I give you, love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are to love one another. He calls it a new commandment. However, like many things we are told, it takes great effort, great commitment, and great devotion. But I believe that there needs to be evidence of the love. 1 John chapter 4, verse 20 says, Anyone says, I love God, yet he hates his brother or sister. He is a liar. For the person who does not love his brother or sister whom he has seen cannot love a God that he has not seen. We cannot walk around holding hatred in our heart for other people no matter what they've done and call ourselves Christians. Now listen to me. There are things that we are called to hate. Biblically, we are called to hate evil. We are called to hate evil, not the person who does evil, but the evil itself. Our fight is not against people. It's against principalities and powers, the demons of this earth. We are called to love people. But listen to me. It, it can be easy. That I, I'm, I'm, I'm going I'm to tell you. There have been a lot of times in youth ministry, but there's always one that sticks out, and she knows this story. She's not here. She might be watching online, but she's not here. But she, I've told this story before. I'm not embarrassing her. I'm not going to give you her name. There was one young lady who would not even come to my youth group when we were at Harbor Lake. She wouldn't even come. She would come to other events with her aunt and uncle, but she would not step in my youth group. But it always seemed like that after we were done with church or after we were done with Awana or something like that, she would always come and corner me and Tori and ask us a million questions. And I can remember so many times opening the Bible and saying, let's look at what scripture has to say. Open the Bible, read word for word what it said in the Bible. Not my authority, God's authority. And she would argue with me. Oh, that child to this day will argue with a brick wall. I love her to death, but I'm telling you, some days you just want, you feel like you have to beat it into, how many of you got youngins like that? I think that young lady was preparing me for one of mine. He's back there saying, no, not me. Yeah. You know, the funny thing is, he started moving and the other two just looked at him. He knew exactly who it was, right? Right? But let me tell you, I watched this young lady argue and argue and argue and fight God until she couldn't fight that love anymore. And she surrendered. And I wish that I could say that she has faithfully followed, but she's had, she's had events in her life that have, that have crushed her faith at times. 
And she's walking through a season right now in which she is broken, in which she, she doesn't trust God's love right now. But I've always felt like that, and, and she always has been one of, one of our children. We've always treated her as one of our children. Tori and I pray for her. We grieve over her. We, we, we've encouraged her. She's been on vacations with us. She's done, I mean, she has been a part of our family for the last, gosh, 12, 11, 12 years. She's been a part of our family. And we are praying for her right now. We are showing her the sacrificial love of God. Anytime she calls, no matter how inconvenient it is, we're going to pick up the phone. We're going to talk to her. We're going to meet with her because we want to show her that love. We're going to express that love to her over and over and over and over again because it's who we're called to be. It can be easy to love friends and family. It can be easy to love those people. What about a person who wronged you? What about a person who stole from you? What about the person who cheated you? It all seems to come down to how willing we are to show the same amount of grace that we received. Are we willing to show the same amount of grace that we received? Here's what Jesus says when asked how often we should show each other's grace. We talked about this last week. Matthew chapter 18, verses 21 and 22. Peter approached him and asked him, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother and sister who sins against me? As many as seven times? Jesus replied, I tell you, not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. Now, we, we don't know if Jesus really set a limit at 490. I can tell you that young lady has tested my patience at least 4,090. Jared has tested my patience at least that many times. Since he got home on spring break. Not true, not true. But church, we are called to forgive. We are called to love others and we are called to forgive. Forgive, forgive, and forgive. And when you think you've done it enough, forgive them again. When the forgiveness is sincerely sought after. When the forgiveness is sincerely sought after. It doesn't make sense to us. It sounds backwards based on the rest of our culture, which more and more tells us that we should simply just walk away from people who hurt us and complicate our lives. We're taught to cancel. We're taught to leave people. We're taught to give up. But Jesus taught us to reconcile. Our flesh wants to hold grudges, but all that does is eat away at your heart and your witness. As with so many other things that we learn about the kingdom of heaven, this sounds upside down. It sounds difficult. And to some in the room, it sounds impossible. But God loved the entire world, good and bad, rich and poor, everyone in between. He was impartial with his love. He was unconditional. And as impossible as it seems, that's what we're called to do as well. Unconditional, sacrificial, agape love. I'm going to ask Jacob this morning to go ahead and come, and he's going to begin playing a song this morning. As soon as he gets up here, Jacob, just go ahead and play. Whatever you want, brother.
You know, loving other people is tough. It's a tough business. So often our love is tied to how we feel or how our wants or needs are getting met. And when our feelings change or our wants or needs change, or sometimes those things are no longer being met, then our love tends to change. This is called conditional love. And thankfully, it's not the kind of love that fueled God's sacrifice on the cross. Church family, this altar is open this morning, and I'm asking that if the Holy Spirit has put something or someone on your heart this morning, then come now and lay it at the altar. It's open. You can come now. Maybe you haven't been living or loving God the way that He alone desires and deserves in your life. Maybe you need to ask God to forgive you this morning. Because God loves when it's unreciprocated. God loves when you're nasty, when you're rude, and when you're mean. God loves when He's not getting anything out of the relationship. And this specific love of God is always ready for us in His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, over the next few weeks, we're going to learn more about the love that fuels Jesus, that it's humble, that it's perfect, that it's unstoppable. Not even a grave could stop the love of Jesus Christ. Not even death could hold him back. But our challenge this morning is to consider how we can love others like Jesus loved. Who in your life needs to experience that kind of love? Who needs to come with you to an upcoming Easter service that we're going to have? I'm asking you to come to the altar this morning and pray for that person. Pray that God would be now preparing their hearts. Who needs to experience a love free of demands and conditions and rules? Something that's unlike anything else that they've ever experienced this morning. I'm asking you this morning, come to this altar and lift them up this morning. Maybe it's you. Maybe you need to feel that kind of love in your life. Who needs your forgiveness this week? Who needs your sacrifice this week? Come this morning and ask God to move in your heart and extend the forgiveness that God gave to you through His Son, Jesus Christ, to somebody else in your life. And if you're like me, you also need to pray for the strength and the courage that it takes to respond in righteousness. And maybe this morning, you stopped just believing in God and you decided to trust Him. Trust Him to be the Lord of your life and to guide you in everything. Then I'm asking you to come this morning and let this church family pray for you and love you and welcome you into the family of God. And maybe you've been coming visiting for quite some time here this morning. And you know without a shadow of a doubt that this is where God has you planted. This is where you can work. This is where you can plant roots and get involved in a church family. Then I invite you to come this morning. Let's pray together. Father, above everything else, Lord, we want your name to be glorified. 
Lord, we lift you up today. And Lord, we thank you. Word that you've given us this morning. And I'm asking, Lord, that you would, you would release the grip that Satan has at times of invitation like this, when, when, it, when, when, Lord, when we're feeling that urge to come, to be called out, to be separated, it's so hard sometimes for us to, to get up and move. But I'm praying, Lord, as this altar is open, that your people would move, their hearts would move for those.